Hey y'all, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I am Nika Spalding, and today we're looking at the whole uh, chapter six of Amos, so all of chapter six. And so let's jump right in. This is the word of the Lord. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds. I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him, who is in the innermost parts of the house? Is there still anyone with you? He shall say, no. And he shall say, Silence, we must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow where there are no oxen? But you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in low debar, who say, Have we not by our own strength captured Karnim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Labo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you see, we are continuing on with our whoa, uh, and it's I went ahead and did the whole chapter because I think it's really important to see it as one unit of this whoa, whoa. And what's really interesting is we start out this this chapter with woe to those who are easing Zion. And if you remember, Zion is actually in the southern kingdom. And so it's almost as if God is reminding Judah, which is the southern kingdom in the midst of his co- commenting to the northern kingdom, Israel, hey, do, don't forget And this chapter really is addressing the leaders. It's addressing those who have the ability to to turn this ship around. Um, He's talking to those who are at ease in Zion, those who who feel secure, those who have created for them these, these strongholds. They think they imagine themselves to be okay. And he talks about people who drink wine from bowls. I mean... Y'all, look, I like wine Wednesday as much as the next part. No, I don't. I want to be honest with y'all. I don't really like wine. But I I can appreciate a good wine Wednesday with friends. And so, but if y'all join me for wine Wednesday, and instead of coming back with a glass of wine, you come with a bowl 
I'm going to be like, mm, girl, do we need to chit-chat, brother? Do we need to have a little heart-to-heart here? What in the world is going on? And the point of these pictures that you eat in these fattened calves, that you sit in your beds of ivory, like I, I went to Nebraska Furniture Mart and got my bed. It ain't made of ivory, right? It, this, is a, this is a level of decadence and luxury that he's addressing, So this ain't the average Israelite. Not the average Israelite didn't have beds of ivory. The average Israelite didn't have bowls of wine, nor should anyone. I don't care how much red wine you drink. That ain't heart healthy if you're drinking a bowl. Um, And and he's talking about idol songs. So imagine he's, he's talking to those. He's saying woe to you who are incredibly wealthy. You And because of your wealth and because of your privilege, you presume a level of security that you don't actually have. And that happens, right? I mean, most of the time, if you think about a society when, so if you're in America and you're listening to this, you know that we had an economic downturn back in 2007, eight in that time period. Those who feel it most acutely are the poor, period. There's no, there's no safety net to grab them, right? And so though the rich feel it, when you have an economic downturn to the degree that we have, most of the wealthy don't feel it to the extent that, the poor and the middle class are feeling it. And so there is a perceived sense of safety when you're rich. You think you're going to avoid things. You think you're going to avoid calamity, right? If it's if it's flooding in your summer home, then you go to your winter home. And those are the people that he's addressing here. And he's saying, woe to you. It's this incredibly strong language to them. And so it begs the question, are rich people always wrong, Right? And it's a good question because we have stories in the New Testament as well. When Jesus is talking to people, he says, gosh, it is hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you've got the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and Jesus is grieved for this young man. And he's like, hey, rabbi, teacher, bro, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And he's like, oh, it's real simple. You just got to love people super well. Da, da, da. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, straight up done that perfectly, which first of all, no, you haven't. But it's neither here nor there because Jesus knows where to turn the knife and he just clicks it to the left one little degree, and he says, okay, sell all you've got. And the, and he goes away. Sad. Why? Because he values his stuff. He likes his ivory bed. He likes his bowls of wine. I mean, th- this is the reality is that sometimes when we have great wealth, we end up worshiping that great wealth. And that's why the Bible talks about it all the time. And so it's a good question is because he's like, hey, woe to you with your ivory beds. Woe to you with your bowls of wine. Woe to you who are getting those fattened calves. Is it about the wealth? And I, I don't want to move too quickly past this. I it's if, if you're looking in my Bible, it is circled. It's not just underlined, circled. This one little piece of verse six. Woe to you, woe to you. You do these things, you do these things. And then he says, but you are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, which is Joseph is taking the place of this idea of you're grieved, Joseph being one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and it's a, it's a fill-in for the nation of Israel. Woe to you who sit in your luxury, and you're not grieved over the destruction of your fellow man. That, that's the crux of understanding this passage. 
It just is. Is it bad to be rich? No. Sometimes God just blesses people with wealth. I mean, and I know this because if you look throughout the Old Testament, God often blesses some of the patriarchs. Like God is the one that allows Abraham to acquire a great deal of wealth as well as his sons. And as well as like there's most of the, the Israeli leaders throughout history that once they come into a position of power or influence, God also blesses them with wealth. Wealth is not the problem. It can be. But wealth is like anything in this world. If it takes the place of the one true God, remember, you become what you worship. So if you allow money and the pursuit of money to take place of the one true triune God who is good and right and holy and the keeper of all good things, who is the one that lavishly gives gifts to his children, if you put money in its place and you will begin to become greedy and materialistic because you are worshiping the money, not the giver of money. And so it's not the wealth here. It's not woe to you who are wealthy. It's woe to you who are sitting here making your wealth off of the oppression of the land. And you are unconcerned for the poor and the destruction among you. And so if you're listening to this and you happen to be rich, uh, if you happen to be rich because you're exploiting others, straight up, real talk, stop it. But Let's just say you're rich for other reasons. Or, you know, if you are rich for other reasons, good for you. Uh, you can send donations to Nike Spalding. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but good, yeah, good for you. Be concerned for the poor among you. And and I'm, I'll tell you, I see examples of that all the time, especially uh, in Dallas, Texas. I see folks who are incredibly rich who are concerned for the poor among us. And God bless them. God bless them. And so th- this is not about wealth in general, but I will say, take, take note of Scripture's warning that it's easy to create idols. And so if you're pursuing wealth uh, beyond pursuing the Lord, careful. You know, you, you do become what you worship. This passage isn't, goes on, he says, do horses run on rocks and talking about the oxen? And no, that's, that's absurd. The whole point is that is absurd. And that absurdity is what then gets poured into the next two verses, which is you have turn, turned justice into poison and righteousness into wormwood. Justice and righteousness are supposed to be tasty. They're supposed to be like honey, or in my case, uh, brownie fudge sundae from Brahms, two scoops of ice cream with chocolate ice cream, not that vanilla trash. Hey, come at me. I don't care. I'll stand my ground all day long on this. Yeah, justice and righteousness are supposed to be delectables, and they're supposed to be for everyone. It's the banquet table we sit, and it's the extra scoop of whipped cream on top of your serving. It It is instead, though, in the hands of these who sit in their ivory beds and drink their bowls of wine, it has become poison and wormwood. And so this whole passage... This all of chapter 6, the reason why I want to do all of chapter 6 together is because you see in the beginning, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, you are unconcerned. And also, you guys are being absurd. Embedded in this chapter, though, is this understanding that you are, though, chosen among all the nations. He, he says you are the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel come. Like, God has in fact, chosen Israel. They are, in fact, privileged. We talked about this in the last episode. There is privilege that comes with being in the nation of Israel. But if we double click on that privilege, like click on that and a new box opens up, little Wikipedia box, or, you know, like when you hover your mouse over scripture these days and 
pops up the scripture and you get to learn a little bit more. Do you know what that would look like? Like if you, every time you hovered over election, privilege, chosen by God, and you hovered over it, it would, it would have like big letters, disclaimer. Election and privilege is always meant to help you participate in the mission of God. You are chosen for a purpose. And so let's rewind all the way back. God exists in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect loving relationship. They are donating their love toward each other, and they are they are for each other. And then one of the most incredible, stunning moves of God is he creates the world and everything in it and immediately starts having us participate with him on so the mission. So God immediately, he makes us in his image. This is what it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And then in verse 28, it says, listen, you're going to, You're going to be my image bearers. You're going to participate in the dominion and the ruling of this world. We created you, we being the Trinity. I don't, there's one God. Don't, I'm not a heretic, I don't think. So help, so go, just go with me here. When I say we, I meant the Trinity. There's, but there is only one God. I know that. So the singular God with three persons, Trinity, created mankind to partner with God on mission. And you see this, Abraham, I have chosen you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. It's embedded in the language. Israel, I have chosen you as a nation so that you will be set apart so that the foreign nations will see that there is one God and he is good, lovely, merciful, kind, salvific, salvific, salvific. That's why it's such a big deal that they sit in their ivory bed. And they drink their bowls of wine. And they eat their goat souvlaki and their lamb kebabs. That's that's the problem is because the plan of God in the world to bring the message of salvation is a very inefficient plan. And what I mean by that is God in his mercy and in his wisdom that frankly I don't understand was like, yo, let's partner with those humans that we made and let's let them be like, rulers on the ground that is a horrible voice for god uh but we're gonna go with it yo let's do this and if we don't right if we think that election and being chosen is about our benefit and not for the partnering of the mission of god that we participate with god in proclaiming in a lost and dying world there is a god he is good he's crazy about you come and see taste and see that the lord is good if we don't do that what's more at stake is more than just our inability to please god it is also cosmic if god's plans to reconcile the world is to use us as messengers of that good news and we sit around on our hands or worse, participate in the injustice in this world around us. There's a lot at stake. Now, I totally believe in the sovereignty of God. The same God who talks like this. Yo, I'm sovereign. Again, I apologize. This this podcast is bordering on heresy already, so let's just roll with it. God's sovereign. I'm I'm not confused by that. I don't I don't I'm this is not a podcast to say, hey y'all, if you don't get out there and start evangelizing your neighbor, nobody will. That's crazy. God's sovereign. We know that God Himself is is showing up by way of His Spirit in places all over the world and using that to save people. God does not need us to do anything. He doesn't. 
I'm not confused by that. God is totally sovereign, but I know that the plan that God has put into motion because of the revelation of scripture and how he's worked throughout the economy of human history is to allow us the incredible privilege of partnering with him, which is why when we don't, as we see the nation of Israel here, it's incredibly strong language for them because it's not just about them. You get to see through his language to Israel, his care and concern for everyone. Israel, get off your butts. Stop buying ivory beds, first of all. That's weird. Stop drinking your bowls of wine and be a nation set apart so that my glory will be on display so that those foreign nations will see you and say, hmm, something different about y'all. Why don't you tell me about it? That's the point. Is we can see God's love for the nations oozing off this page as he takes his son Israel to task. Son, you're chosen for privilege. There's plan and purpose. So, let me take this up to the New Testament for y'all. Everybody memorizes Ephesians 2, 8, 9 when they first become a believer. At least, I don't know, a lot of people do. And so, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. Get to God, not by works, so no man can boast. Right? And it's an incredibly important verse. We should memorize that because it's all about God's grace is the one that saves us so that we shouldn't boast. It's all about grace, mercy, grace, mercy. But do y'all ever read what happens after 2, 8, and 9? It comes verse 10. It says that you have been chosen beforehand for works to do. God has a plan for you when he chooses you. What a privilege. What a, wow. That's my way of saying privilege. What a privilege. Seriously, what a privilege. The God of the universe with the breath of his mouth created the Pleiades and the Orion and the blue whale and hippos and rhinos and caterpillars and butterflies and Dr. Pepper and Cane Rosso pizza. The God who created all of that also created you and whispered in your ear, I love you. Will you love me back? And when you said yes, he said, hey, I've got big plans for you. Do you want to come be a part of my mission to save the world? I hope you're saying yes to that. And I hope you're excited about that. And I hope you know how much that means that God truly loves you and values you. And not just you, but the people in your life he's trying to reach through you. The people of God are on mission with God. We cannot ever forget that. All right. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, God does. Peace.